Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. In this episode, we'll be looking at apprenticeships and how they can be a great way for people from all backgrounds to embark on a trading standards career. Trading standards is a broad and diverse profession and the enormous range of activities that it covers requires its workforce to have a wide range of skills and expertise. It also requires trading standards professionals to have a wide range of experiences and perspectives so they can better engage with the consumers and businesses they are there to protect. We'll be hearing from Anna Chapman, a trading standards officer at Lincolnshire County Council who has first-hand experience of what a regulatory compliance officer apprenticeship has to offer. We'll also be speaking with Phil Owen, CTSI's Head of Professional Relationships, about how CTSI supports the RCO apprenticeship scheme through training and qualifications and aims to nurture the talents that apprenticeships uncover. And we'll be hearing from CTSI Chief Executive John Herriman about what the Institute is doing to lobby the government for more funding of apprenticeships and about how they form a vital component of making the profession fit for the future. Chapman from Lincolnshire Trading Standards and I am a Trading Standards Officer. I'm Phil Owen, I work at CTSI as the Service Director for Professional Relations. Hello, I'm John Herriman and I'm the Chief Executive of the Chartered Trading Standards Institute. Anna, I know that you've undertaken an apprenticeship. Could you tell us a bit about what your experience of doing an apprenticeship was? What, what were you doing before and what led you to undertake it? I first obviously joined Lincolnshire Trading Standards on an apprenticeship scheme Um, so prior to that I was working in the retail industry for about 15 years where I had literally left school with just my normal GCSEs and then while in retail I'd undertaken a couple of MVQs um, within retail and a PETALS course so preparing to teach adult learning sector but for me it was an apprenticeship role that I wanted Because I was changing industries, I had no prior knowledge of the industry. So I wanted to be able to gain that knowledge and learn while I was doing the role. So the apprenticeship really stuck out for me. It was a 18 month apprenticeship. And from that, I gained a level four regulatory compliance officer qualification. And we also ran alongside that the trading standards practitioner stage one qualification. So what was it about trading standards which particularly attracted you in in the first place coming from a from a sales background? I think it's the variety of the role the fact that one day you could literally be on a farm helping with an inspection the next day you may be in a retail premise or you could be providing business advice so no day is ever the same there's lots of different things that you can learn from it and it's an ever-changing role. In, in terms of the, the day-to-day practicalities of the apprenticeship that you that you did, what, what did it involve? So we started off, we had our initial meetings that set out kind of our goals throughout it and set out the scheme that we was going to undertake. So, for example, like the endpoint assessment, um, the regular training meetings that we was going to have. Um, so I believe we had about eight day training sessions that we went through different topics. In between those sessions, we would set different um, targets. So 
it could have been like presentations or it could have been essays lots of different um like research bits in between so that we was building the knowledge and we was kind of building building throughout that portfolio of work of evidence of things that we'd done were there any aspects that you found particularly rewarding or particularly challenging I think for the apprenticeship, it was the fact that we would obviously learn while we was doing it. So we've got obviously the training sessions with it, but you actually, you're out there in the field as well. So you're getting the hands-on experience to be able to relate to it. I didn't want to be just sat in a classroom learning. I wanted to be able to get the hands-on experience and learn the job while I was doing it. And being able to get that experience and being out there with other officers and learning from other officers really helped in building my knowledge base to be able to go forward for the endpoint assessment. Were there any other people doing an apprenticeship similarly at the same time as you at, at Lincolnshire? Yeah, we had four of us that was taken on at the same time. So I think there was quite a high um, lot of applicants that went for the role at the time because it's quite an unusual thing to see. There's obviously apprenticeships are coming more and more now, but um, go, going back two years, it, you, you never saw that job role. And I think being able to come into something possibly a bit later rather than just straight from leaving school it was specifically an apprenticeship that I wanted to be able to get those skills and to have the confidence that I was going to be provided with everything that I needed to be able to do the role and apprenticeship for me ticks all of those boxes. Bill, could you could you talk to us a bit about CTSI's involvement in apprenticeships? Okay, so um wanted to just, if I could, pick up uh, a very good point that Anna just made a few minutes ago, the fact that um, uh, apprenticeships um, didn't necessarily refer to the regulatory sector uh, before a couple of years ago and, and this was the reason why CTSI uh, you know is is very much involved in supporting uh, the apprenticeships uh, system now because of that uh, way that we are we can attract people young people people of all ages really into the job the, the, the role of regulatory uh, compliance officers and in particular for us it's uh, it's the trading standards uh, sector so um i was very much involved at the beginning of this um in fact um i was seconded uh, by uh, government to actually um develop and deliver a regulatory com uh, uh, competency and apprenticeship uh so that's the ctsi allowed me to go on that secondment to, to deliver that so right from the, the onset it was something that we were very interested in and, th and that was because um, when I first started at CTSI in in the education team we were we were asked many many times each year by careers officers and for, for teachers as to how can you know young people when leaving school enter into training standards into a, uh, into a regulatory uh, a regulated service and for many many years it was the point that either they had to get a job in a, an organization that would train them or at that time it was going to university uh, and although we tried quite a number of years to try and to, to produce an apprenticeship it wasn't until uh, you know in 2014 we understood this new apprenticeship this trailblazer that uh, that everybody's talking about obviously this week um, that really encourages 
to to get involved more and produce this uh, regulatory compliance officer that we have uh, today. We we are very much involved in that, and uh, in in regards to our professional qualifications, we've mapped uh, that. Uh, as Anna mentioned, we've mapped the uh, the RCO into our current qualifications. So those that do achieve the regulatory compliance office apprenticeship do get credits into stage one of our professional qualifications, which is, which is good. And might talk about it a little bit more later, but we are looking at developing the next stage to encompass the rest of, of the professional qualifications into, in, into an apprenticeship. How does doing an apprenticeship work? How, how long does it take? How much does it cost and, 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 and who pays for it? Is it paid for by the individual, by the, by the employer? The way that the government set up this trailblazer is that a levy is charged on on larger organisations and, and businesses, uh, and that levy money goes into a pot. And uh, individual employers uh, can actually then access that money to pay for the training that is delivered through an apprenticeship screen, the scheme. So, so basically the the, the Institute for Apprentices and Technical uh, Education, they actually have a, a system where they register training providers and endpoint assessments who, if they register against particular standards, in this case, we're talking about the regulatory compliance officer, can then deliver the training and assessment required. Uh, and that is all paid by this levy. However, there is a cost to the employer, so it doesn't cover the costs of the employment of the apprentice, uh, and, and also, you know, it doesn't cover the expenses um, of of that that person. But also, there is a, you know, if an organisation is going to take on an apprentice, there is costs, as it were, in regards to resources and making sure that you support, um, you know, that that apprentice, which I think Anne is a perfect example of where. A local authority, Lincolnshire County Council, has has taken on so many apprentices, but uh, there's the support there as well to to encourage them to do all their studies to make sure that they are qualified at the end. Anna, how did you find it in terms of the balance between doing the the, the practical aspects of the job day to day versus the assessments, the the paperwork, etc., to actually achieving the the qualification at the end? It was fairly straightforward, I think. We was quite unfortunate in the sense that within about a month of us starting, we'd obviously come into COVID restrictions. Um, so that changed quite a lot of things. And we obviously all had to readapt to everything. Um, but we was really fortunate in the sense that our lead officers put a lot of time into us and we set up a, an additional structure for lead officer training which gave us that additional support to be able to go forward with our exams. I think there's a lot of independence needed in regards to understanding what information you need to learn for your exams. And if it's somebody that, for example, for myself, that hadn't been in education for a while, it, it takes a bit of adjusting getting back to used to that. Um, but there's lots of different support mechanisms there to be able to use to help you do that. Um, if it's additional exam support, getting used to the style of exams again, or knowing what information you need to focus on. The tutors was amazing at providing that support for us. And like we had regular one-to-ones. So we always knew where we was at and where we needed to be going. 
and where we could next improve. So it was challenging at times, but we had a lot of additional circumstances with that, but we all achieved the results we wanted out of it. So it's worth it in the end. Phil, is there a particular profile of, of the kinds of backgrounds of people who are likely to be exceptional apprentice schemes? Is there, an, is there an age limit, for example, or is it more or less open to, to anybody? So it is open to anybody, which is which is brilliant because that's that's the whole idea of it. And and I think John will probably talk about this in a little while about how we're, we're you know we need to be more diverse as a uh, you know as a profession. And this is the perfect sort of uh, avenue to be able to bring bring new people on. So it is for people after they leave school. So there is a there is an age limit, but there is no restrictions as regards to. Uh, or prerequisites uh, as to, to be able to, uh, um, to to get on the RCO. And it starts at a level and builds up all the knowledge required. And, and the knowledge that, that is required is all the core skills that not just trading standards officers need, but, but you know, as, as, as the name suggests, regulatory compliance officers, any, reg, any person or any uh, person that wants to work in, a, in, in an area that, is, that, that uses regulation. So that's 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 what's uh, uh, good with it. But uh, the, encourage, the encouraging part is is that we are finding now that uh, the regulatory compliance officer is a tool for attracting new and young people into our, our service. And the the way that we've now managed to tie it in with our, our qualifications, our professional qualifications, is is a great avenue for people. This this way of being able to to use the apprenticeship is a is an excellent way of, of bringing in persons that wouldn't necessarily have thought of a career in in regulatory compliance. We want to be able to encourage you know uh, more young people, uh, the diversity we need in the profession with, and also encourage you know people who are sitting on the fence that this is doable. And there's a lot of uh, support behind, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, for, for youngsters and, and, and others to actually be able to achieve this. It is a way of getting qualifications and starting small and, and building and getting getting into the fact that you can become a professional in the end. I mean, with our organisation, you know, the pinnacle is the Chartered Trading Standards Practitioner. That's, that's uh, you know... A, uh, you know, for people to have a, a good goal and for that goal, that learning goal to, to achieve that in the end is something that we, you know, we, we, we encourage. Is it possible for somebody to, to change specialism partway through the programme? Perhaps somebody might start off having more of an environmental health focus and they decide to switch towards trading standards or they might be, you know, looking at a particular area of compliance, which is interesting to them and they want to go down that route, perhaps around I don't know, food safety or, or, or construction compliance. Is it, is it quite flexible? Absolutely. And when we, when we, we developed this apprenticeship, at that time, uh, what is now called the Institute for Apprentices and Technical Education, uh, advised us when developing the standard, when developing the assessments, it had to be um, a, a programme that uh, you, could, you could have a particular specialism or role that you were or employed in or whatever, but you could change that because the actual learning, the actual core skills, knowledge and behaviours, uh, you know, are prevalent in all in all areas of, uh, of of regulatory activity, so that that was the, the key thing. It didn't necessarily specialise in those technical areas you mentioned. So yes, 
and even to the fact we, we were very surprised we we did it we obviously had to uh, be involved for, for business there's businesses as well that have regulatory compliance offices so you know somebody from a business uh, background as well could uh, could could do this uh, qualification as well and then could decide in the end which which career they wanted John, Phil's already referred to the benefits of apprenticeships in terms of making trading standards a more a more broad and, and, and welcoming profession. I know that CTSI has been addressing recently the, the diversity issue, not least in terms of tackling the problems of a, an aging trading standards workforce. What, what are your thoughts on, on how apprenticeships can, can tie into to, to solving that problem? They obviously play an absolutely critical role, and it's all, it's all about making a career in trading standards uh, accessible and sort of inclusive, uh, and at the broader sense, and also at the most specific sense. And I think the the apprenticeship entry route you know, through the uh, you know, the RCO it creates that sort of really nice sort of flexible entry route for people to want to either come in mid-career changes like Anna, which I think is an absolutely fantastic story, particularly coming from retail into the world of trading standards, um, but also for those that are coming out of college or leaving school. Um, and we want to be able to attract people to show actually this is a profession that is inclusive, um, that is accessible to people. Um, and then you go through a rigorous training program that Anna's just been through, um, and then is practicing as a, as a trading standards officer and is then looking forward to that sort of career. And I think there is a real opportunity through the apprenticeship scheme to reach out to um, a much more diverse sort of group, um, both in terms of looking at ethnic diversity, but also looking at sort of gender, making sure that we're really re reaching out and, uh, and also sort of age. Um, you know, an apprenticeship is no barrier to age. Um, you know, we can attract anybody. Um, and I think what we're trying to do is to sort of demonstrate the value of trading standards, how exciting it is, that breadth and depth and variety that Anna's talked about. Um, and then actually how um, reasonably straightforward it is to come in, but you're then going to go through a rigorous professional qualification, come out of it with a qualification, and then have a really exciting job and a professional career that lasts probably for a couple of decades or longer. So um, it's, there's a real opportunity through this. And then the other side of it is then, you know, by making sure that we're attracting new entrants to the profession um, and for, from more diverse backgrounds, I say in the broader sense, um, it means to say that we're then helping to make the profession sustainable in the long term. Um, and we know that uh, the role of trading standards is, is more important than ever. So it's therefore more important than ever that we're getting new entrants who are going to be there to do that job in the years to come. To your mind, are there any particular backgrounds that you think would be a good fit for coming into trading standards? Obviously, it, trading standards is, is a broad church of, of, of lots of different specialisms, but presumably there may be some areas where there is a, a, a shortage of people, of resources, of expertise, perhaps. Are there any people that you thought, are, you know, that you'd, 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 you'd make a really good fit as a, a trading standards officer? There sort of there naturally are, although I wouldn't want to sort of preclude anybody from wanting a career in, in trading standards. I mean, if you, if you look at it in terms of, you know, I think somebody coming in from a retail background like Anna is doing, I think that's a fantastic background to be able to bring into the world of trading standards. And then, um, and also, you know, let's say those who've worked in careers, let's say in the police, you know, those types of sort of uh, you know, sectors or careers, they bring a really valuable sort of skill set and perspective. But then also, as we start to you know, look at the areas that trading standards are going to be involved in, and obviously we're now going to be more heavily involved in areas like construction products. Um, so the, the, I think there's a whole raft of areas that we could be involved in. But 
I think that I think the central message is that what from whatever background is going to be a valuable set of skills that you're going to be able to bring into the trading standards world and profession. And actually, that's what we're really looking for, because that brings them that diversity perspective from different sectors, whatever those sectors might be, whether it's the public sector, whether it's commercial sector, not for profit even. And actually, it's that diversity of experience that I think makes for a really sort of vibrant and sort of diverse profession, which is actually what trading standards is all about. Um, and actually what we're now trying to continue to build for the future. And that's why the, you know, the RCO, the, the apprenticeship route, is such an exciting opportunity uh, you know, to be, as a way to be able to start that journey. In October of, of last year, CTSI voiced its considerable disappointment about the withdrawal of ring-fenced funding for RCO apprenticeships. I know that you, you, you wrote a joint letter to, to the government. Could you give us some, some background to that? Why did you write the letter and what so far has been the, the response to it? Yeah, and this is a really important topic, and we've just written another letter now as well, actually. And the origins of this come from a group that actually Phil was involved in, um, which was the regulatory services um, uh, sort of working group, uh, cross-department working group in sort of government um, that basically brought together lots of different stakeholders um, with a view to actually looking at some of the, the challenges of COVID and the learning from COVID, but then extended it into a sort of a, a wider discussion group looking at the role of regulatory services um, and some of the challenges that um, regulatory services face and still face. And there were a number of recommendations that came out of that um, from things like sort of leadership development, um, and, and other schemes, a really important recommendation that was supported by MHCLG, as it was now Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, uh, was to get behind a ring fence bursary scheme for regulatory compliance officer apprenticeship scheme. And it was a suggestion that came out of the group. It went into the spending review uh, within government, and then it didn't actually make it through the spending review process, which from our point of view, um, and also we're working in partnership with the Chartered Institute of Environmental Health was extremely short-sighted um, and demonstrated a lack of understanding around the strategic issues facing the resourcing of regulatory services uh, more widely. So that was why we expressed our disappointment and why we've continued to engage in conversations with um, Department for Leveling Up um, Housing and Communities. And we're still working with the Chartered Institute of Environmental Health. Uh, and we've written another letter this week um, sort of highlighting the importance of the role of regulatory services and particularly obviously trading standards to uh, to make sure we're continuing to make that case. Um, it's one of those things that we've got to continue to make sure that we're holding government to account for because it's actually a recommendation that government came out with from a review that they were doing. And it was a good recommendation that came out of a good review process. Um, and therefore, we need to make sure, along with uh, you know, other um, institutes working in the field of regulatory um, sort of services, uh, that we continue to hold government's feet to the fire on it. Because what we can see, uh, and it's the, the case that we're making into government and others, um, is that actually there is a lack of frontline trading standards resource in the same way there is in the world of environmental health. And without that resource, there is an inability um, to protect the public, which is ultimately what this is all about. Uh, and ultimately what local government um, is there to do is to protect their local communities. Um, and trading standards play an absolutely critical role in doing that on the front line. And with the you know, steady sort of cutbacks that happened over the last sort of 10 years, uh, in excess of 50% now in terms of funding going to frontline trading standard services, it gets to a critical stage. And the perspective at the moment is that there was a system that was creaking before we went into COVID. 
Um, we've then had those longer term social economic consequences, which will continue uh, with COVID. We've then had EU exit. We're now getting additional burdens like construction products. Uh, and actually, that system is not going to be fit for purpose unless we invest. Um, and this is about investing in people, uh, investing in the frontline services uh, so we can protect the public, basically. Do you think trading standards can do a better job of developing and retaining talent so that it then can be put towards uh, leadership roles within local government and possibly even within within national government? Yeah, I, th I think it's a, a really important sort of uh, element of this, actually, um, because uh, developing somebody once they've started their career in sort of trading standards, as Anna is just doing, is really important that that development and support is in place, both at the local level within sort of the local authority, um, but also that we as a professional membership body are supporting that as well. And it's actually how do we sort of both work together uh, to be able to do that? And Phil, we're the person to bring in on this in a moment, um, because, you know, we're supporting leadership development programs at the moment, you know, working with ourselves and OPSS are doing something uh, something similar. Um, and that is all about making sure that we are supporting you know, members and trading standards professionals into those sort of leadership roles. Um, and that's a really important component. So that you've got both the sort of professional technical aspects of trading standards, but then you've also got those sort of broader leadership management sort of people sort of skill side of it, uh, which is all about developing somebody for those sort of more senior roles as a sort of a career progresses. Uh, and I think it's, a, it's an absolutely fundamental part of, uh, of what it is that we do. Um, and then also it's sort of encouraging, you know, members um, and training standards professionals to sort of continue to working on that professional development, both from a leadership point of view, but then also progressing to that sort of pinnacle of, um, you know, professional membership with chartership. Um, and so there were sort of, some fantastic opportunities, therefore, to develop both personally and professionally, which we as an institute sort of sit at the heart of, but working you know, hand in hand with local authorities to, uh, to encourage you know, uh, sort of people like Anna you know, on their sort of careers uh, that she's now two years into. I think Phil will be a good person to ask about this because uh, he's been very heavily involved in the development of a lot of these aspects. Well, yeah, Phil, I'll, I'll come to you then. So you, you did mention previously that you're involved in creating the, the new qualification. Could you talk about that in a bit more bit more detail? We're, we're trying to look at creating a whole sort of journey that, uh, you know, a, that, that a candidate that comes in at apprenticeship level feels that there's a profession that they can stay with. Uh, to as John mentions, the very pinnacle. So as, as we said, we've got we've got the apprenticeships that will bring in, hopefully as well, a more a diverse um, uh, sector from, from, from our society. Just a point I wanted to, to, to make on what was just said a few minutes ago, that it's, it's about creating now a profession that is not only sustainable for the future, but also represents our community. Uh, we have a situation at the moment where from our last workforce survey, we found out that the average age of uh, uh, the trading standards uh, profession is in the 50s uh, and also uh, white, uh, middle class. And that doesn't necessarily represent the communities they live in. And, and this, uh, the, the apprenticeship and other schemes that the government have, we're encouraging local authorities to take up the kickstart and the job entry targeted support scheme. We're looking at making sure we encourage uh, those who would, from, from ethnic backgrounds or whatever background, wouldn't necessarily think about, you know, a profession, taking a profession, a role in, uh, you know, regulatory enforcement, etc. We'll, we'll do this, we'll, we'll be able to achieve this. So it's, it's most important that then 
what we've got to do as an institute is make sure that when that person feels that they would like that as a profession, there, there is a journey that we can take them on. Uh, and it's a journey to, to, to wherever they want to stop. Some we know are very happy and, and very good at uh, staying at the technical side. We have some wonderful lead officers in the Institute, uh, you know, that, that certainly help not only our membership, but also our policy team to make sure that we are, you know, lobbying and representing the trading standards at the highest levels. But then also, as, as you've just mentioned, we've now looked at the uh, way of how we can encourage some of the profession to then, you know, look at further, uh, you know, levels in the organisation they are. And one of the issues with all the cutbacks that we found recently is that whereas before, when I started in trading standards, your head of service would have been from a trading standards background. And in fact, when I first started, the, the one of the directors in, in the actual local authority came from the trading standards background. So although that level, you know, it's not about being biased towards trading standards, it's, it's an understanding that a trading standards service exists in a local authority and it do, does need a reasonable amount of resources. And, and what's happened recently with all the cutbacks is that First of all, as you know, in any cutbacks in local authorities, the top tiers get get taken away. So we've now got sort of, say, uh, directors and heads of service that are looking after trading standards who are not that from not that background. And I'm not saying they're not they're not looking after trading standards, but you, 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 what we need in our, our local authorities and in those organisations is is people at the top. Where, where discussions are held about resources, et cetera, that do remember and know that there's a trading standards department that does need resources. And it, and it, it can't continue to have the cutbacks that, uh, that we've got. So, that's, so that, that journey now hopefully will, will be more clear and seen. And we, we will in the future see, you know, people that are in those authority, in authorities and in organizations that, that will be able to help make sure that we retain, you know, a, a sustainable trading standards service. Anna, I know that you're relatively early on in your trading standards career, but do you have any thoughts on how you envision your career progressing? Do you do you have any plans or any any particular ambitions within trading standards of, of where you'd like to be in in say five or ten years time? I think it's a case of taking it step by step, but I think it's really good to know that. The progression steps are there and there are opportunities out there. I think coming from a retail background that's not probably quite as structured, you don't necessarily know which direction you, you can go. Um, but there is obviously information that we can find to know exactly this is where I'm at now. If I want to get to the next level, this is what I need to do. I then need to do this. And you can clearly set out like the next stages of your qualifications of where you need to go if you want to get to a certain position, which I think is really good. John, if you were in a room talking to potential apprenticeship applicants, what would you say to them to convince them that uh, that trading standards is a, is a worthwhile career and is something which uh, is actually a very positive thing for, for anybody who cares about society and about other people to, to embark on? 
I, well, I think the first thing I'll be doing is asking Anna to speak, actually, because I think she's sort of, uh, you know, spoken so eloquently um, about what it is that, um, you know, the apprenticeship scheme is and actually the work of trading standards. And I, I, I think Anna summed it up really quite nicely, actually, around that sort of variety of the, of the, the breadth and depth of the roles. And uh, obviously Anna's practicing as a trading standards officer. Um, I've seen that since I come into CTSI sort of last April, it is that breadth and depth from sort of animal health, food standards, product safety, scams, uh, and all of that is focused on protecting the public. Um, and there, there doesn't get to be a much greater social purpose than doing that through the role and work of trading standards. Um, and so I, I think for me, it's about sort of identifying um, that social purpose, you know, it sits right at the heart of our sort of mission and sort of um, and values as an organization, as an institute and as a profession, which is there to one, protect the public, protect consumers. Um, and then secondly, about creating that level playing field for business. And that sits right at the heart of, uh, you know, of, of what the what the country needs. Um, as we're thinking about sort of economic recovery, we're thinking about consumer protection, thinking about all the issues in the press and the media at the moment. Trading standards is right at the, uh, the centre of all of those. And I just think it's one of those professions that is just so wonderfully exciting that I've, I've seen since I've come into trading standards, coming from a non-trading standards background, very much like Anna has done, actually. Um, and I've just really seen, actually, the impact that it has at that sort of, um, at that very deep level. Um, across every aspect of, of what we do in society and sort of, um, you know, that, that variety is, is, is plain and evident to see. Um, and then I think in terms of, you know, as a, as a way of coming into the profession, um, I'm going to pick up something Anna said right at the start, which is about learning and doing, which is why the apprenticeship route is such a great way to do it. Um, I've done vocational qualifications in my career as well, and I love that sort of blend of the learning and then sort of going out and practicing and then sort of reflecting and then sort of bringing that back again. And I think it is one of the most wonderful ways to come into the profession, whether you're coming in at that sort of um, younger age as a student or college leaver or coming in as Anna's doing sort of uh, as a mid-career sort of entry change or sort of career change. And, uh, you know, what you end up with, whether you're coming in at that younger age or mid-career, is this sort of fantastic career and a profession that you're joining that you know is going to be driven by a social purpose and that's going to make that difference. Phil, finally, then, in, in terms of the process of applying to do an apprenticeship, what is the route to go down? First place to start is, is the government website, .gov website. If you go on there and put apprenticeships in, there's lots and lots of information about um, picking the right apprenticeship for you. Uh, and then once you've decided on that apprenticeship, obviously we're, we're trying to encourage people to, in this instance, to take the regulatory compliance office apprenticeship. It will then give you a list of um, businesses that are, that are and organisations that are taking on uh, the, uh, apprentices in that area and also uh, the training providers, et cetera, and all the information you need. And then obviously then you can contact who, who, who you need to go forward. We'll also um, be thinking of in the future of um, making sure that, you know, on our website as well, the local authorities that are interested in in taking on apprentices, you know, uh, are, are, are there so that people can look at our website to find out uh, you know which organisations are taking their apprenticeship, and obviously the the way they can apply. I think that would be a, a valuable tool that we we we, we can add a, as as well. But the first place it would be the .gov website. All the information about apprenticeships is uh, is on there.